and then I'll have a friend sing a song, and then we even be dismissed. Blessed be the time, don't sing, that bought our hearts in Christian form. The From soil, toil, and pain, and sin we shall be free, but up until that time of bliss, you shouldn't count on me. But aren't we all in Christ, then we are really one, so let us be My song, now I want you to hear another song. It's actually kind of a Christmas song. And Annabella asked if we could sing something Christmassy because she is wearing a Christmas dress. <laughs> could you stand up, Annabella, so we could see your dress? You can stand up on the chair. Okay. Now, if you go ahead and, and uh, let's play the song. Harmony. Harmony is very satisfying. So I want you just to listen to it. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pine. We can't do it all, so we're going to skip a little bit, go a little far.
Kara. Nice to have you here. Disharmony is pretty self-evident. You don't have to be a music major to detect it. When you hear people singing a hymn, which we did at Trinity in four-part harmony, people, there were friends of mine that came over from time to time, pastoral, and they heard us singing, and they said, whoa, that's the church that sings in four-part harmony. It's very peaceful, isn't it? Harmony is very peaceful. Dissonance is agitating. Sadly, we have lived with so much of it that we can handle it. That, that we don't often, sometimes we don't do anything about it. We just let it persist. And it does something to our very nervous system. So we're talking again about unity today. And after a while of sharing, I want you to share your gift. Share what your spiritual gift is, what you contribute to the body of Christ, because that will help us Actually, diversity brings unity. Diversity of God's kind. So God has assigned things to you. He's given them to you. And he expects you to use them. We hope you use them. And it actually brings us unity because just as the body, Paul says, is made up of many parts, they're diverse parts, but they're working in unity so I can get there from here. I can think. My body does, does things for me. It serves me. It gets things done. David writes in Psalm 133, the first verse, the first word is behold. Anybody going to say it? The rest of it? Behold how good and, okay, lovely or pleasant it is when dwell together in unity. He could have as well said, behold how bad and unpleasant when we don't. I just want to say a word at this point about when we were together in Duluth, speaking of gifts, I spoke in the morning and Nate spoke in the afternoon. We were talking about breaking strongholds. And we need both parts. We need the morning and the afternoon. But if I had to take my choice, I would take the afternoon. I'll tell you why. Because he gave his testimony. Some of you haven't heard it yet. He gave his testimony. It's remarkable. It's incredible. It's, but it's believable. I'm very proud of him. And then he also spoke about peace and how to live a stress-free life. Well, I know that for several years he was going through dark night of his soul, and he wasn't living with peace. And so for him to share that, it had more power. So I was very thankful and proud of uh, your pastor and what he did up there, how he exercised his gifts. So as we know, God makes it. God makes it happen. But then we maintain it. So what if there's disharmony in the marriage? David knew about that. What, what wife did he have difficulty with? He had many wives, sadly. We don't know how many he had. 
but he had at least eight. They're named in the Bible. Eight are named in the Bible, and then there are others. Michael. Mikael. She criticized him when he's dancing, coming home, celebrating the union of the, the talked about unity, of the union of the country. And she didn't like how he was dancing. And uh, she got a curse. I had to live with that the rest of her life. Family, family disunity. That's a really tough one. When there's disunity in the family between parents and kids. My friend, my very good friend, has never seen his grandchildren from his son. Has never seen them. They're almost, one is almost 18 years old. Something strangely happened with his son, and I know his son, fine young man, but something happened with him and a wife that was sinister, and they agreed together to separate. Some, something coming from down from mom with this daughter-in-law talked on the phone with for an hour every day. And so he, there's a brokenness that he carries. They, they have a present, but they can't send it because it will come back. They try, and it comes right back in. So they have the present saved up, hopefully for the day, where there's unity, not separation. David, last Sunday, shared again a story with me that I, I knew about, but I want him to, he could share the hour version, but now I'll, he'll share the one or two a minute version of a deep brokenness. And I say this because we, we know different areas in our life than lives of one another. And so I, I wanted to uh, just ask him if he shared. Would you stand up, please? David Johnson is a pastor friend of mine. And 20 years ago, I went from California and spoke at his church in 1993 or four. Well, it's... Uh, it's very true, the hour-long version or the attempted two-minute version here. I'll refer to the neighboring university right over here. Back on June 2nd, 1995, I had the wedding for my daughter, second oldest. I have five children. My late wife and I, little history here, I think you probably realize it, uh, we're almost newlyweds here, Domi and me, uh, coming up on three years in December for the two of us. Uh, we knew, we, yeah. we knew Miriam, his wife, yeah. very well. So my, uh, my uh, Miriam and I had five children. And the second uh, was married over here on June 2nd. I had their wedding in the beautiful Northwestern University Chapel. Uh, she and her husband. And things were great for uh, the first ten years, shall we say. Then... Uh, through a series of circumstances, they came out to live with my late wife and I out in Montana, my last parish that I served out there for 12 years. And they were stay they stayed out there in the state for a total of four years, two years, 26 months under our roof and 27 months outside. And disagreements began to happen after that 10-year, uh, first 10-year period of time relating to how do we live in this world. 
what, it, how, what, is to be, what is to be our response to the civil authorities? Everything from the president and the, the federal government to the state government to taxa taxes to licenses of all sort. And uh, that was the general background of our many disagreements. I, for my part, and Miriam as well, late wife, took the side of Romans 12, Romans 13, excuse me, Romans 13 and, and 1 Peter 2, I believe, where we are instructed to respect and obey and honor the authorities that exist. And that's especially compelling when we realize that Peter and Paul, who admonish us to do that, were themselves martyred by those same authorities. Uh, and here they tell us in, the, in their letters to honor the authorities to respect them. Well, my son-in-law is ingenious in doing an end run around all those passages. He had, an, he had his explanation for Romans 13, why it didn't apply. First uh, Peter chapter 2 there as well. On and on the arguments went until finally a separation took place. And uh, finally, a great escape, as I call it, when they attempted to, when they left the state of Montana and came back in this area, and from this area, they live in another state far, far away. And so a separation occurred and affected not only myself and this daughter, but her younger sister, who lives much closer over here, not seeing and hearing anything from them for, for several years. Now, miraculously and wonderfully, I'm, in a, I'm on a very limited uh, uh, email correspondence with them starting my birthday last December and about every four months on the average uh, sending some email back and forth to this one daughter and going over the hurts and the wounds and expressing forgiveness. And uh, it's, I, I'm in the school of sanctification. I mean, how does God grow us up in him? He grows us up in him through the fires and the turmoils and, and the struggles, and that's certainly what I've been going through and uh, continue to go through. So my prayers are that uh, unity will happen eventually, but it's been a long, slow, slow process. Regarding my other daughter who lives somewhat close here, I still wouldn't be seeing. I have 13 grandchildren. Out of those 13, uh, I can only see uh, four. Uh, from a son who lives here in the cities and the other daughter who lives not too far away. Thanks to her mother-in-law who sent a little video that resulted in some con con of my other granddaughter, now too, limited communication there, but and some very limited com communication uh, with the daughter who lives far away. So I believe that God is moving us toward unity, but I tell you, the the pain and the hurt, and I'm not alone. I've shared this in a couple of other contexts out at a camp where Paul spoke several years ago, and uh, afterward, a num number of people sharing. Yeah, me too, me too. I know about this. I'm going through something similar, and you've shared this already with your other friends. So God is working on unity, but boy, it's it ain't easy, is it? Uh, takes time. Disharmony. Disharmony is... Yeah. Yeah, and then we read those pa many passages where we are called to unity, and it doesn't happen overnight, but in Christ there is unity already established, and we are called to move toward that. Thank you, David.
Did David know, uh, King David, did he know about disunity in the family? In his family? The son who was most like him tried to kill him and then died of the dart wounds from Joab. Did he know about disunity in the workplace? He gave advice to his son Solomon after he became king to deal with Joab because Joab was, uh, could not work with David. So David knew. So when he said, behold, how good and how pleasant, he knew how bad and how unpleasant. He had it all his life. Just listen to this now. David is a boy. We don't know how old he is. But Saul is rejected. By the way, Saul was the biggest, the tallest of anyone in Israel. Head and shoulders, it says, taller. And it also says he was handsome. Very handsome. Unfortunately, he was insecure. And so he couldn't live with his own gifting, his own possessions. So he's rejected. So now Samuel is going to Jesse's house. And Jesse has eight boys. Seven of them show up. And one by one, they go through the test. Samuel, who's got good discernment, says, I think it's Eliab. He's the first. He's the oldest. And God said, I have rejected him. He gets down, and they finish the seventh. And you say, Samuel said, you got anybody left? Well, yeah, we've got the one out watching the sheep, thinking, Probably not. He comes in, and God said, he's the one, anoint him. What do his, his brothers think? What, what might they think? We have one clue. Because a little later on, when David goes with cheese sandwiches to the brothers, there are three brothers who are in the war, and there are four brothers ahead of David. He's number eight. So we have an idea. If these four brothers are younger than 20, which at 20 you went and fought, David is maybe a teenager. I think he's probably 16 or 17. Some think he's younger. They, they could be twins or triplets, actually, there. So we don't know how old he is, but let's say he's 17. And he's big enough so that Saul, who was really big, said, here, use this. And he didn't say it doesn't fit. He said, I'm not used to it. So he hears him talking about the one who will take out Goliath, and he's interested. Isn't that interesting? God put something in David's heart that he was willing to take risks. He would do it with a bear or a lion as a teenager. And now he's going to do it with this guy who all of the Israelites are afraid of, all the mighty men of Israel, and this teenager says, I'm going to take him on. And his brother overhears, Eliab, number one. And he says, who is watching those few sheep? It's in the book. Who's watching the few sheep, little boy? And David just turns away and talks to somebody else. He takes out Goliath. He becomes a hero. So he's got his 
brothers now having to deal with that, wondering, well, how do we deal with David? Now he becomes the folk hero, and they're singing a song. Hekiv Shaul Ba'erevav Bat David Be'erevavotav. What did I sing? Can you imagine any king liking that song? Can you imagine Saul liking that song? Already insecure. Saul hated the song, and Saul hated David. So now he's got tension. Talk about unity. Behold how good and how pleasant. David knows disunity in his family. Now he knows disunity from the king. And for probably 17 or, or 13 or more years, he's, he's king of Judah when he's 30. So he's being chased by a maniac who's demonized for probably 13 years. Disharmony. Disharmony from his enemy. But then when they're out sacking people, marauders come in and sack their city, Ziklag, and they come back, the possessions are gone. What else is gone? Wives and kiddos. They want to kill David. So they were with him all the way, but now they want to kill David. Does he know disunity? He knows a lot of it. He knows all about disunity. Then becomes king, not of the whole country, becomes king of the southern part. Seven years later, he becomes king. So for David... When he says how good and how pleasant, he's speaking from experience. From having disunity with his, maybe, I don't know if he had a favorite son, but Absalom was most likely. He, just, he, he was a better fighter than he was a father. He didn't know how to father. And Absalom died of a father wound. So let's just review and then I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to respond as a group to it. We talked last week. God creates unity. I have five sisters. When we fought, we were still Andersons. It didn't change our status at all. So God makes us one. He creates unity. We don't create unity. Babel was a bad idea. The Tower of Babel, it was a terrible idea. It was unity on man's plane, which is what, that's all the world can do. Unity on own, own plane. It's a bad idea. It doesn't happen. God throws it apart. Because how does God create unity? Think about this. By separation. Genesis 1 said, he separated the light from the darkness. The light he called day, darkness he called night. And then Paul says, taking that for spiritual purposes, light has nothing in common with darkness. And so God brings separation. What God, you'll hear these words again and again, what God has joined together, God does it. God takes two people and makes them one. That's a miracle. What God has joined together, let not man. So God is the creator, and we rejoice in that, because that's the hardest part. What's our job? Remains unity. In this powerful 
book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, he tells us what we have in God, what Christ has done for us. And then he tells us who we are. And then in chapter 4 through 6, the first three, and then chapter 4, therefore, based on what I just told you, here's what I want you to do. And the first thing he tells us, he tells us to walk in unity and preserve it. Preserve unity. Maintain it. How do we do that? With lowliness, with humility, loving one another more than yourself. That's how we maintain it, by loving people and going low. I am so excited today because afterwards we're going to go up, we're going to go out, those who want to, and do raking. I have had, of all the years we've been here, the last few days have been the most significant in terms of reaching the neighborhood. Yesterday, I met a guy that I had not met. He's been here for many years. I had just blown the backyard, because I'm getting ready for you guys to do the harder work. Blowing is easy, because you just hold this thing out and just push the leaves together. And I wanted to make sure we could get it done. So I blew the uh, leaves from Colleen and Chris Nelson. Colleen is a pastor at Rolling Hills, uh, not Rolling Hills, uh, uh, Roseville. We live in Roseville. <laughs> Roseville. I, I used to live near Rolling Hills Covenant. This is Roseville Covenant. And uh, Chris, her husband, came out, and I said, I'd like to blow. I said, well, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm helping her get ready for tomorrow. She's preaching tomorrow. I'm helping her go over a sermon. I said, I'm not asking you to come out. And he was almost shocked. I said, I'm doing this, and we're going to come back tomorrow and finish the job. And he, oh. I said, just let me into the backyard. And I loved, I was just praying as I was doing it. Because that maintains and builds the unity. Then I see the guy drive up next door that I wanted to meet. I hadn't met him in all these years. And I said, hey, can I blow your yard? He said, well, you can see the yard is pretty good. I said, how about the back? Well, that needs it. I said, could I do it? He said, well, I really want my boys to do it. I said, how about if I blow it and they can pick it up? Really? And we talked for a while. And he said, hey, if you ever need anything, I'm a floor guy. He says it on his truck. You need a donation. I can get, I'll give you. He, he's acting like he's my friend now. <laughs> because we reached out. I didn't reach out. We, I did it on behalf of you. We're already done on this side because she got her kids. I blew it on Friday, and I want to make sure we cover the territory across the street. Lots of people go in and out of that house, lots of young people. I uh, saw Josh. I went over to the house, and I said, I want to finish on Sunday. And he said, we'll be out there. So we can work together, eager especially eager for Josh, because I think he has some authority in that house. I said, I'd like you to come to Lydia House sometime. He, he I think he wasn't so sure, but I know he's a Christian, because he, his mother brought him over here when he was going through a struggle. They saw me, and he said, that guy would probably have 
something to say about this. So, as we go low and serve, we build the unity in the body of Christ. So, Paul, in writing this, listen to this. I therefore, prison Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Then, this is what he says. We sang it. There is. There is is a state of verb. Is is a state of verb. It's a state of being. It says what is. There is one body, one spirit, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. He's talking about oneness. One, one, one. We are one. And so now humbly and lovingly, we build that, and how do we do it? But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So you've been given a gift or gifts, and as you exercise your gift, which is different from mine, we build unity. So what I want you to do now, we'll take as much time as we want. I, I, can, I can say I'm done with the sermon because I want to hear from you and I want you to share. And if you say, I'll, I'll hold this out. I don't know if we can capture. Maybe we capture a few of them. But I want you to say what your Go for it, birthday girl. <laughs> this thing makes me nervous. But, um, okay, I have to think. Um, this is just backtracking in my thoughts on things you said really quick. Yep. We'll lead until you're doing, hopefully. Um, in one sense, you could say God created unity and Jesus purchased unity and the Holy Spirit preserved unity. Cool. So we need the Holy Spirit because you were asking yes. how we get yes. unity. Yes. We're talking about maintaining it or something. And if you go back to the early church, sorry, <laughs> the early church and today, um, I don't know how to get this back on this part. Um, back in the early, early church, the, God had favor in the church. They were bringing, people were being saved day by day, and they were healing and deliverances and miracles, right? Mm -hmm. and, it, and so you could say, um, uh, believers, when believers come together, there can be a supernatural atmosphere and good that happens. Absolutely. And so there's a difference between what we're talking about today. There's biblical unity and there's the world's unity. Yesterday, the Minnesota Gophers, TJ Flex, like demolished whoever they played, and the Minnesota Gopher coach row the boat, and those guys are going to die for one another. That's their unity. But the difference between world unity and supernatural unity would be, how do we get unity? We were saying those verses, we lay down our lives for one another. That's what P.J. Fleck wants his Minnesota Gophers to do on the field. The difference between Roseville High School having a statement in their school that says they stand for unity of all one of faith, religions, cultures, and Concordia Academy, we stand for one faith. <laughs> so the difference, I is, where am I going with this? Um, we, we, we lay down our lives for one another for the purpose of conforming to Christ. Good. 
And I think that's the difference between biblical unity and the world's unity. And it's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And laying really down is. our lives for one another. What's the verse in Colossians that he lo- put on love? It binds all things together. That's the uh, deepest essence of Jesus' love, yes. <laughs> laying down one's life for a purpose, though. And that's a big difference. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, I think it seems important as you were talking today. And one really quick story, if, if it's okay with your first verse that, that ties into everything you're saying right now is um, 1990 to 1995, Dave and I, we were married for five years, and he got a new job at Presbyterian. Is it okay if I quick tell the story? It'll tie in. Uh, (laughs) Um, He became a chaplain for Presbyterian Homes. Sorry, I had surgery here. Presbyterian Homes. You're familiar with Presbyterian Homes? This was their first new Presbyterian Homes in 1990, apart from the one that's been in Hardin Hills forever. And they... The, he, Dave knew the CEO really well back then, and he had a new vision, and the vision was to have chaplains now that it was their first chaplaincy that they hired for Presbyterian Homes in 1990. It was Dave, and they had a budget, so this new building in Minnetonka, they wanted to make Dave the first chaplain and part-time caretaker because that solved two things. So we moved in. We were the first to move in with 250 older adults in an older adult living facility that came and we lived there for five years on site. Caretakers, you know, fixes, leaky faucets, toilets, turns off the lights, emergencies, you name it. So we're in each, he's in their homes or in their apartments. Plus, we, um, we had chapel services on, chapel services on Monday nights and Bible studies. And we had mother-daughter teas and our children were born there and they loved them. We did funerals and visitations and, you know, you name it together with 250 people because we lived there. So when we left, when Will and I, when he was two years old, brought Grandma Betsy to Christ, and, you know, it was a beautiful time. Good was happening. When we left, a new um, leadership came in. They didn't like all these Bible studies and us living there and all these things going on. When we left, those people wanted to give us a gift. They raised $2,000. They wouldn't let us give us that money because we were employees. I wasn't. Dave was. And so they gave us a picture and it's this huge picture. And it's a picture of, um, of a little church on a hill, a winter scene, and a hill. At the back of where we lived, it was called Beacon Hill, there was a hill. These older people raised money for a playground for Will and Marianna. They watched them ride their bikes and have scooter races with the old men. And they went sliding down this hill. This is a picture of a church with a hill with older and younger people walking and sliding down this hill. And the verse on it says, um, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. And that was a symbol of, I think it's, it's important, who God is is important, but I think it's, I'm sorry, I'm saying too much, I, it, I think it's most important to think about who we are in Christ together. Yes. And that's what happened there. And they didn't know they had a vision for, we were, uh, we were about sharing God, but what happened when we lived together in Christ, that was what was good and pleasant and brought unity. It's hard to do that. that. Sense? It's, it's hard to live together physically, but when you do and you do it well, it's there's a. There's we were a, in the same circle for So let different ones of you share your gift. What your gift is. Go for it. CJ, jump in. I'm not going to call on people. CJ, go ahead.
Does anybody ever see C.J. Sherman? Very grateful. a huge gift. Okay, keep them coming. Jump in. What's your gift? This is just a little different, but when it's for unity, okay, uh, Phil and I just met last week, and uh, now that I know he's a Marine, I already feel a brotherhood. And in the Marine Corps, they call it the big green machine, and you're a cog in the machine. And what matters to you is not as important. It's not important. It's moving the machine ahead. So if if you if if it costs you, but it moves the whole unit, right? I mean that's kind of how we think of unity. I mean it's all about the bigger picture. The individual just melts into the machine. You're talking. Yeah, no one cares. Yeah, we're all one. You're talking Bear Bryant. You know that name? Bear Bryant was one of the winningest coaches in football, and they asked him his philosophy. They asked him why he never had a Heisman Trophy winner. And he said, because it's not about I, it's about we and us. And he built machines. He built, he had five national, or six national football championships. He's a great coach with that, that same philosophy. Bring your, share your gift. Stephanie, I'm not going to call on anybody. What's your gift? So what are you doing for us? Come on, listen now. Don't ask me to do what she does. You'll be sorry you did. But if you ask her, she'll say, oh, I think I can do that. Speaking of, what, what about your husband? You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Mm. 
your gift? Absolutely. Anybody agree with that? Anybody seen that happening in his life at all, ever? Could we come over and break his bone? Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Jenna? Go ahead, Jenna. You've been called on. What's your gift? How, how does your gift help build the body of Christ? I could say that would be pretty good experience. Jenna has just offered to do what she did at North Heights here at Lydia House. And what she did at North Heights drew a couple hundred people um, and touched the Holy Spirit Conference, so she's willing to do that here. So is that your gift, Steve? Dance and... Uh, 
<laughs> okay. So, so for her to offer that, she's asking us to consider her gifting, and then that creates deeper community. Who else? Did you hear his bass this morning? I was singing tenor, and he was doing the bass. Well, I mean, that was an easy one to sing harmonies in, but I, I, I really like songs. So I, I, I really enjoy singing. I, I enjoy choral music. Um, but I, I also feel I'm really gifted with people. Um, I uh, feel like I'm a, I've done all sorts of different things. I was in the Marine Corps. I worked during college. I worked with special needs. You know, I sang in a few operas in, in, in Billings. I, I, I feel like I'm a chameleon, and I and ever since I turned 30, I I, I you know I've never been fired from a job. I just quit because I, I, I feel like I master it and I get bored and I'm like I don't I'm not happy. That's not what I'm supposed to. And ever since I turned 30, I've been trying to find like where I need to find my home, I, like where I belong in, in life and uh, vocationally. And I mean, the longest I've ever lived anywhere is in Montana, in Florida 14, but I never considered that my home. That sounds but, like but a... Yeah, so I, I feel like I, I work really well with people, and I really love just talking to people. I, I've been working part-time. I'm a full-time student right now, but I've been doing Lyft, uh, ride-sharing, just during my cash, and uh, I super enjoy it. It's, it's really interesting people that I meet, just randomly, just random in encounters with strangers. It's just super, super fun. Meet people from all over the world and go from various places. And you're looking for how that's going to find. Yeah, I had a lot of interests. Um, you know, I'm, I'm into CrossFit and kettlebell training and uh, music and Christian orgy stuff. Can we pray for you? <laughs> Would you are you yeah, comfortable yeah. with that? Put your hand sure, on him. Let's <laughs> let's put your hand on him. Yeah, hold it there. Let's believe that uh, Phil Philip will. In the days ahead, that the Lord will help him to zero in on what he's created to do for God's people, for the world. Father, you have given much to Philip. Thank you for his background. Thank you for his parents who loved him and gave him the freedom to be who he is. Now he wants uh, a narrowing down and a clarification. Would you show him in the days, weeks, months ahead what specifically he's called to? Now as we're praying, if, if somebody gets a word or an indication, a feeling, a sense, then you can share it with him now or later. Lord, I feel like you've been uh, like Philip's been out gathering ingredients, a lot of different <laughs> ingredients, and like you're ready to bake the cake and make some uh, with uh, put it all together, and uh, mm. and uh, he's been getting some really cool, diverse things from all over, and uh, I, I think we have a special treasure to make at this moment. I pray we would stand and focus.
that uh, in some area where we've been really fierce to build and rebuild most of the dams that have helped a lot of people. Sounds good. Amen. Thanks for sharing, Philip. Abram, I'm not calling on people today, but what are you? Go for it. Amen. I'm going to wrap this up. I'd love to have everybody share, but we're going to eat a little sooner than normally because we're going to go out, those who want to, and uh, work. So God creates it. We maintain it. And the result is, in Psalm 133, for there God commanded to bless him. God so loves unity, which is who he is. He has lived in eternal unity, never anything but deferring to one another, loving one another, no moment of any disunity in the Trinity. So our disunity reflects back to them. And he hates it. He hates disunity. And so we want to, where there's disunity, address it. And where there's unity, enjoy it. Because God wants to command blessing. That's a strong word. So in the days ahead, may the Lord allow you to be released into what you were called to do 
for this body or whatever body you are a part of in the body of Christ so that you can see God commanding blessing for you and others. So here's one of them right now. And I'm going to send a blessing your way. And this is not a, a convenient way to end the service. That's not the purpose of a blessing. The purpose is to convey God's very character. It's to transmit. There's something that happens when these words are said. So you shall put my blessing on them. God told Moses to tell Aaron. So here goes. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his very face, to lift up his face upon you, the result being, and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.